Welcome to Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Stephen Caradini. And I'm Chris Kreitcho, and this week we're going to talk about how the internet means there's no such thing as a small audience. That's true. We're going to talk about this with basically two articles as a jumping off point, and then just kind of range all over because this topic really does range all over. Topic number one is uh, a, a rather interesting, but not actually in and of itself that interesting post by a guy named Marco Armand, who posted about Apple's software quality a little while back, and as posts on the internet do, it went viral, and he published what I think has to be one of the better retractions I've seen the next day when he said, I regret saying this, I said it badly, I did it wrong, now I'm, I, I'm sad because I got this wrong. The other one is the story of a man named Kirby DeLauder. He is the council, he is a councilman on the county council in Fredericksburg, Maryland. No, nope. Frederick County, Maryland. Frederick I'm County. I'm sure that yep. plenty of Marylanders are like, <laughs> not again! <laughs> Frederick County, Maryland. I'm sorry, Frederick County. Um, he is apparently grotesquely and woefully ignorant of how journalism works because the paper in the area, printed a, I think it was just a straight editorial criticizing him for something. And he promptly threatened to sue the paper for using his name in print without his permission. It was actually an article about parking. Oh, yes. It was was the parking article, which makes it so much better. Even better. (laughs) (laughs) All it did was state the facts. This person uh, voted about this in this way. I will sue you for using my name without my permission. Mr. DeLauder, they said, that's not how the, the anything works, actually. But especially the internet. Let me introduce you to someone named Barbara Streisand and have her explain this to you. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what happened. Mr. Mr. Kirby DeLauder and Mr. Marco Arment are both smarting over learning some really difficult issues, difficult ethics concerns related to the internet. And they didn't know they were going to learn them, and, but now they know. <laughs> now they very much know. So we were also talking late in season one with a mutual acquaintance of ours offline who was talking about the general phenomenon of trying to write for a specific audience and then dealing with the reality that on the internet there is no such thing as writing for a specific audience because everything you write is public. Now, yes, there are sort of exceptions to that insofar as you can password protect posts on Blogger or WordPress and so on. But as a rule, if you post something on the internet, it's public and everybody can read it. And so we thought we would take these couple hilarious stories as well as some serious stories as a way of talking about how the internet means what you say can and will redound to infinite values sometimes. Yes. So we'll start with Marco Arment. Marco Arment is a, a tech guy. He has been influential in various tech things like Tumblr, Instapaper, the magazine. He's, he's done a lot of things. Um, he writes a lot which means that he's sort of a journalist, although he doesn't really like journalists, so he doesn't like to think that he is a journalist. But I think he's finding out that even if he doesn't think he's a journalist, 
everybody else does. <laughs> and so he, as is his wont, went and posted a thing on his blog because that's what people like that do. They post things on their blog. And people it like me. People <laughs> like me. People like everybody who does this. It's not a big deal usually. But because Marco Arment has been around and he's been a part of several very significant startups that turned into companies, some giant companies, some middle-sized companies, people read his stuff. And not knowing that you have a giant audience isn't a moral failing. Maybe, you know, you should check your stats once every now and again, <laughs> you know, just to make sure. But it's not a moral failing. But it can get you into some sticky situations when you post something that's critical as he posted on this article that's called Apple has lost the functional high ground, you know, basically says not that much interesting stuff. It really says, you know, if marketing drives the car, the car is liable to wreck, which not that big a deal. True statement. The uh, most original or, or one of the original promulgators of this idea was Steve Jobs. So, <laughs> right. like, so this is not new in relation to Apple, and it's not new in relation to technology. He's just saying, guys, you're just not you're not doing stuff well. You're doing too much with unrealistic deadlines. Yep. That's really the point of this article. And he's not the first to say that about Apple in this specific context, nor in the last year, nor any of that. His was just the one that happened to go boom. Go because boom. of a combination of those factors, some of it being the fact that he does have a, a fairly sizable audience, some of it just being the particular moment and who happened to repost it. And this is one of the weird vagaries of the internet. Another guy could have written the same post the same day, word In for the word, same words. Yeah, and put it up on his own blog, and even had a similar sized audience, and it not go viral. Yeah, this totally possible. <laughs> the internet is a weird, weird place sometimes. And so, what that brings us to in this case, it's a not particularly controversial post that turned into a little faux controversy. Sometimes, what you write that you expect your little circle of tech blog friends to read turns into something that is getting quoted on national news sites and business insider which can't be considered news <laughs> true that <laughs> and and all of a sudden you're saying how did this happen but that's yeah. the internet for you it does that yep so as a result marco Ahmed woke up the next day and found in his own words my words were everywhere, <laughs> chopped up and twisted by sensational opportunists to fuel the tired Apple is doomed narrative with my name on them. Or Tumblr's name, which was even worse. That's a quote from his retraction article. So basically, he had everyone's worst nightmare happen. You, yep. you, go, to, you go to sleep, things are great, and you wake up and you've got 90 emails, 4,000 Twitter notifications, and like 10 people calling you to get a quote. <laughs> That's never what you want to happen. Like, Even when it's a, a thing that's good that you're happy that people do, you, you probably are feeling a little iffy about that. When it's something that you didn't want to, you ultimately don't want to have exploded. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And some people, you know, some people expect this to happen to them because of the way they conduct their lives. Some people don't expect this to happen to them. Clearly, Marco Arment was a person who did not expect this to happen to him. And so as a result... He ended up 
trying to say something to a small group of people in a particular way, say using a lot of insider baseball names and terms mm -hmm. and you know, it's not a it's not written particularly for mass audience, mm -hmm. it appears. But lo and behold, there it is. Cause the internet, it's now everything. Everywhere, all the time. So what does this mean for us? What do we do with the fact that you've got the ability to say anything to anyone and most of the time, 99% of the time, nothing happens. But 1% of the time, crazy, sometimes unfortunate things happen. Right. So how do we operate on the internet knowing that 1% of the time this could go horribly? <laughs> Or wonderfully, and 99% of the time, it doesn't matter. I think, actually, as I've been thinking about this, the thing I have come to come down on most strongly as a takeaway is the responsibility of the reader, of the audience. Because at the most basic level, you cannot, as a writer, always anticipate every possible reader. And sometimes even the attempt to do so would completely incapacitate you it would prevent you from actually saying something because you would spend hundreds and hundreds of words qualifying everything lest you be misunderstood and you would simply be unable to speak and we can see how the ability to speak as an insider to other insiders is vital when we look at other disciplines when we look at you know academics if i sit down and start reading one of the journals stephen reads when he's looking through his stuff Look, I'm a smart guy and I'm well-educated, but there's going to be a lot of terminology used in specific and particular ways that's just going to go past my head, at least until I start familiarizing myself with it. And a, and a lot of references to mm -hmm. stuff that's already happened that I already know just by them saying three words. You right. Know? <laughs> a lot of references to bigger conversations that we just don't talk about here because we're trying to get to the point here. Like right. everybody already knows what that means. Right. And so there's... A certain extent to which anytime you come to anything like that you have a responsibility and I have a responsibility as someone approaching the material to recognize that the author has the right to speak insider terms and to speak to other insiders and if a lot of things aren't making sense to us or the author is assuming certain things as a baseline that's okay and in fact it's necessary and important to actually be able to say something so whatever the topic, and perhaps especially with more controversial topics, it behooves us to ask, who, who is the author addressing here? Are they speaking to the broad public, or are they just addressing other people in roughly their same situation? Now, you can't always tell, but insofar yeah. as you can, I think it behooves us to, just as an act of charity toward others, try to see to whom they are speaking and grant them the freedom to speak in those terms. And this can be especially difficult in heated and controversial topics. I mean, if we're talking about something that's a really, really hot button issue, whether that's Israel and Palestine or abortion or healthcare or uh, homosexual marriage, or uh, I mean, just anything like that, where there are a lot of groundwork assumptions that inform the conversation, if you come and sit down and read a left-wing pro-gay marriage magazine as a conservative Christian, you shouldn't be offended that they're assuming that their basic approach is right and they're writing to the rest of their audience. Of yep. course they are. 
And more controversially, people who read from the opposite direction shouldn't assume that either. Right. So people who are reading, you know, conservative Christian things shouldn't automatically assume that because they come from a certain set of assumptions that they're just being completely inconsiderate and completely out of control with the things that they're saying. Now, are there some publications on both sides that are being completely out of control? Yes, there yes, are. Yes, there are. <laughs> yes, there are. And so it takes discernment to be able to say, okay, this seems like a reasonable person who's referencing a lot of things I don't know or understand, and this person is bonkers. We need to do something <laughs> about this. Like, there's a difference. Yeah. And it's tough. Like, you know, hermeneutics is difficult. This is, you know trying to read and think about where the author is coming from, like that's the definition of hermeneutics. And so if we have to give a hermeneutics to the entire internet, perhaps that's going to be a long, hard class. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, this is what we're this is what we're getting at here. So like this is this is reading one oh one, how you read once you can actually read. <laughs> so maybe it's like reading one oh two. One oh two, yeah. One oh two. So, and what, what's even harder is, you know, once you're a journalist, you know, people expect that you're going to be writing this stuff and they expect to cover it because a lot of the journalism that we do these days is journalism on journalism, which is not a bad thing. Um, it can be a bad thing, but, you know, journalism on journalism is important. It's how people, you know, know what's going on in the world. And it's, but as journalists, I think there needs to be some care taken to say, this guy who was talking to this group of people is saying this thing, you know, some of it has terminal velocity, especially when it's, you know, Apple, mm -hmm. like everything is going to be published all the time everywhere. Um, you know, and there's a lot of reasons for that, which we're not going to get into today, but there are some things that it's hard to stop things from being covered. Yeah. And so when you put together a person with a sizable audience and a topic that people want to be covering, it's hard to write about that in ways that are able to be talked to a small audience, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. Like the internet was supposed to open up all of this and it totally has, but that doesn't mean that we should now. Now that right. we know what this sort of system can do, there are sorts of things that we shouldn't put in a public forum. Maybe run them in, you know, in chat rooms, maybe have, you know, private conversations with people, maybe, you know, use email listservs that won't be public until someone hacks your system. Um, <laughs> but then that won't be the biggest story. It'll be the fact that you got hacked. So there's a lot of ways that we can communicate on the internet. And we have to really think about where we put this stuff now. It used to be like, hey, I just put some stuff up there and it was fine. Well, there's more ethics involved with that now. You can't necessarily put everything in a public forum, even if it's, you know, not, uh, you know, purposefully. It doesn't have to be purposefully inflammatory to yeah. end up being inflammatory. That's what I'm looking for. Thanks for that word, friend. <laughs> Thesaurus man to the rescue, right? <laughs> so that's that's one thing that we that we want to point out is that you know, the journalists aren't really in the wrong here. I mean, yes. Well, some of they, them were, but yeah, as a group. A, as a group, yeah. I mean, it's not like we should say, you shouldn't go around <laughs> looking at other people's stuff and posting it. And well, that's actually, it, yeah. that's, that's actually, actually journalism. journalism. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually what we do here. So, 
it, there are some people who did it uncharitably or for a link bait headline, and you know that's a bummer. Um, and then from there it went terminal velocity, and that's you know bad. Um, but in general, I think that the the guilt is shared where there is guilt to be assigned to the the ways that we think about where we should put things on the internet and the ways that we think about how we should cover them. Yeah. Um, and again, as Chris and I have mentioned many times, the motivation for link bait headlines has caused many a trouble um, <laughs> for many that. a person in many a situation. So, you know, I think link bait is probably the biggest culprit here. But that being what it is, we still have to take precautions as content creators. And if you're on the Internet, you're a content creator. So, right. If you are a Marco Arment, or for that matter, if you're a, a winning slowly, you have to be aware that there is a chance that tomorrow this post or podcast episode or whatever else is going to go viral. And one of the takeaways in Arment's post, and I think one of the takeaways we would agree with and emphasize, is that you should be careful. Not that you should be crazy defensive and try to justify everything, but that you should be careful. You should attempt to make sure that what you're saying is actually what you mean. Because it's really easy to whip something out that's just off the cuff and is close to what you mean, but when somebody comes back to you, you recognize, ah, okay, so what I said was Stephen Caradini is a giant pumpkin, and what I actually meant was Stephen Caradini is a giant basketball, and basketballs and pumpkins kind of look vaguely similar, especially at a great distance, but when it gets right down to it, they're not actually similar. <laughs> they're both round and orange with some kind of lines on them, but you're going to have a problem if you think it's a pumpkin and, and not a basketball. I think that's the best metaphor that's ever been said on Winning Slowly. If I could clap without hurting my listeners, I would do it. <laughs> uh, and then that's an absurd metaphor, but I, I think, you know... You can say something that's close in some ways and then realize later that it's disastrously wrong because it's close but not quite right. And so it behooves us as writers and content creators to make sure that we're saying actually what we mean, not just something close to what we mean. Right. So this emphasis on journalism and how it works and how people relate to journalism relates to our second idea of note that we're going to talk about, which is Mr. Kirby DeLauder, or Councilman DeLauder. We can sum up this whole section by saying, if you do something stupid, the internet will capitalize on it. Yeah, especially if you do it on the internet. <laughs> on the internet! <laughs> it's, it's, so the, the chain of events that happened here are that, and we'll link all of these in, yeah, they'll be the, in show the show notes. notes. So... Here's the chain of events. Councilman DeLauder of Frederick County, Maryland, was referenced, not even cited, just referenced in an article about parking concerns um, by a reporter. And Councilman DeLauder was not pleased with this, uh, even though it says nothing libelous or slanderous or, you know, besmirching his name. So he went on Facebook and threatened to sue lots of people, apparently, if they used, if the paper used his name again, which the, the problem with this is that <laughs> that's not a thing. <laughs> you, you can't. 
That's like the first rule of the Constitution. <laughs> Use my name again, unauthorized, and you'll be paying for an attorney. Your rights stop where mine start. That's a direct quote. Ouch. So, <laughs> so this is distressing on a variety of levels. One, I'm concerned about the, the lack of understanding of basic government principles that, that this particular councilman <laughs> asserts. Secondarily, I'm concerned about the way that slander rules work. He's not really clear on those. Those, <laughs> on those either. But third, he's mostly not aware of how the internet, internet. works. <laughs> yep. Because this is on the internet, <laughs> naturally, it's now on the internet hundreds of thousands of times. The best, the best of all the responses, I think, was the one in the paper in which this was originally reported, in which the editors published an editorial in which they used his name in most of the sentences. and 26 times. I, is that the same article where they made an acrostic out of his name at the start of the paragraphs, or was that a yes, different one? That's the yeah. same article. <laughs> yes. Yes, they did. And they have a lot of really great things to say about the the nature of journalism and the nature of government and they have it's a great article it's wonderful i hope it gets nominated for a pulitzer <laughs> it's fantastic defense of journalism but it's also just very funny in addition yeah and it, and it highlights this idea that you're we talking about with marco arment is that kirby de does not know how large of an audience he has which he probably did not expect to wake up and, <laughs> and be all over the internet. But because of the way that th this works, that's what happened. Because he didn't know he was tapping into certain systems where there are journalism watchdogs out there who deal with this type of stuff, who scour the internet looking for this sort of stuff. He didn't know about those. Furthermore, out of those, there's a whole bunch of snarky, somewhat cynical people at newspapers who love to print this sort of stuff. <laughs> you didn't know about those, apparently. And then finally, there's all these people in the world who like to make fun of when you don't understand basic rules and concepts, and we like to call them Twitter. <laughs> and and I'm, I, I'm sure he knows about Twitter, but perhaps not how it demolishes people. So... All of these things came together, and he naturally, you know, doesn't have a, a reason or previously didn't have a reason to know that all of these systems interact, but they do. And so when he posted this thing on Facebook out in public, he was putting himself in front of all of these systems that he didn't know existed. And so this is an even more interesting case than Marco Arment to me is that – he was just saying stuff out in public, threatening people, which you shouldn't be doing in the first place. But Don't threaten journalists. It's a bad that's, idea. <laughs> yeah, don't threaten journalists. It's a horrible idea. They're the people who write stuff about you. Just in general, that's a bad idea. But doing it in a forum that will have massive repercussions is I, – I just, I just grasp for words. Like it just seems so basic that you shouldn't do this. Yeah. But there are still people who interact with the internet in this way that they're not aware that this can happen to you. Right. And so I don't think any of our listeners, our dear listeners, are on this side of the spectrum. 
people who listen to podcasts in general probably understand the internet a little bit better than that. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure they do. Um, but it's just fascinating that as much as the internet is ubiquitous, perhaps as the internet gets more ubiquitous, it's it's important to understand how this works. And I think it's interesting to note that it at least to me, it seems clear that there are large swaths of the population that use the internet without really grasping the extent to which anything you write is public and will become kind of a matter of public record, whether you want it to or not. Yeah. I think there's a sense in which sometimes people tend to use Facebook, and we've all seen this. I have seen this personally with people interacting with things on my own pictures and so on. People will interact with things on Facebook or elsewhere online as though they're interacting with your private photo album or as though they're sending a letter to an editor, which the editor may do whatever they wish with, including publish, of course. But there's a, a tendency to treat these public things on the Internet the same way you would treat pre-Internet private correspondence or private sharing of these kinds of data. And it hasn't. it clearly hasn't sunk in for everybody yet that... Hey, if you do that on the internet, it, it's there, and it's going to stay there forever. I mean, notwithstanding the sort of uh, link rod and stuff that we talked about in one of our episodes back in Season Zero, it remains the case that most likely Kirby DeLouder will live in infamy for this particular thing for decades. You'll be able to run a search in Google or whatever succeeds it and still find stuff about Mr. Councilmember Kirby DeLouder threatening a local reporter with a lawsuit for using his name in a story. It's true. And what's, I think, most interesting to me is that people like Marco Arment, they're interacting with these tools. They know about the way that these systems work. Right. Councilman DeLauder is not... Clearly not so much. Not so much. <laughs> but there are people who are doing things that are a lot less, you know, nefarious mm -hmm. than, than Councilman DeLauder and who are subject to those same rules yep. that they don't know exist. You know, I'm thinking of people who are activists for things like, you know, issues that don't have large internet presences or don't have a lot of presence in general. People that aren't as familiar with navigating the internet but have a, a pet project or a small nonprofit or even a large nonprofit that are trying to get their their information out and sometimes and this is an unfortunate characteristic of the internet it's easier to get press for something accidental and terrible that you did than all of the good work that you're actually putting out there and that's and that's a difficult concept to grasp given the nature of various corners of the internet because there are a lot of really great corners of the internet, people trying to help each other out and people really working together at grassroots levels to get things done. But there's also a significant corner of the internet, and one might even say a significant portion, corner, many corners of the internet, that like face palms. They like seeing yeah. people fail. Yeah, That's a rough lesson to learn. And again, we're speaking to people who are hopefully all nodding their heads silently. Um, <laughs> or... or non-silently like yeah <laughs> that is a hard lesson to learn <laughs> it's really loud nodding <laughs> uh, there's a responsibility i think for people like us who do get that when we run into those folks who who may just not get it to help them understand and to help them learn 
because it's not necessarily obvious, and especially if you spent a substantial fraction of your life before the advent of the internet. Though honestly, from what I've read, a lot of young people who've spent uh, all of their life with the internet struggle with some of these same issues. So it may not even be specific to that. Yeah, that's a whole other winning slowly conversation. The responsibility for those of us who do have a better grasp on the sort of permanency of things on the internet and the way that the internet tends to react when funny or simply failure happens should lead us to educate and inform where we can and it should lead us to be the guy who leans over to a friend or an acquaintance who's doing something that's about to get this happen to them and say uh hey that's gonna go badly for you don't do that yeah and then it's you know on partially on the internet as a whole <laughs> i know that you can't really address the internet as a whole but dear the internet dear the internet less... stop doing that <laughs> please stop being um, jerks yeah i mean and in in this in this case totally justifiable public <laughs> right. shaming for bad behavior is thoroughly necessary but there are some people who just do things yeah there's there's a fine line between public bad behavior and not knowing how the internet works. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those things come together and sometimes they happen separately. And so there's just a lot of judgment. And that's what happens when we get down to these ethics episodes. It's like, you know what? You gotta have discernment. Yeah. Think well, be discerning. And that's a hard thing to say as the end of an episode. Well, guess we solved everything, guys. Use your discernment. <laughs> Think harder. Think harder. Be more thoughtful. There is a very real sense, though, in which the only way we can, quote unquote, win slowly, the only way we can do these things, whether on the internet or anywhere else, is by taking the time to think through them and to think through the consequences of our actions, to think through the ways we could be misinterpreted and to uh, attempt to head those off where it makes sense and to attempt to be informed about the media we're using. If we're making a Facebook post recognize that it's public. If we're posting on a blog, remember that much as we might be used to talking insider baseball, eh, somebody who's not in the inside might read it. And there are ways around that. There are ways to say, hey, I'm addressing my in-crowd. If you want something that's oriented toward outsiders addressing some of the same issues, go over here and look at that instead. Again, you can't do that perfectly, but just taking the time to think it through, think about what the consequences of your actions are and be wise. It, it'll help. It won't solve everything, but it will help. Well, that has been Winning Slowly, Season 2, Episode 2. Before we go, two things you should know about. One, if you haven't seen or been following some of the news about recent unrest, and by that I mean people shooting at each other between Israel and Hezbollah, go take a look. This is an ongoing problem. We continue to hope for peaceful resolution and fellow Christian listeners, we encourage you to pray for resolution and get better informed about it. A lot of people tend to sort of gravitate ideologically toward pro-Palestine or pro-Israel positions, and I'm sympathetic to that urge in some ways, but I think we need to, all of us, work on being better informed and understanding the complexities of that situation and the real moral complexities of that situation, because at this point, there have been some pretty horrendous things done by everybody on both sides, and a way forward is going to have to acknowledge that. Second, there's a really fascinating news story came through our Circa feeds yesterday, in which they reported that a man passed away 
who was the son of a former slave who had fought in the Civil War on the side of the Union Army. And when you start doing those numbers, you realize that this guy passed away in, I guess it was his late 80s or early 90s? 97. And I think when you ran the math yesterday, we said that means his dad had him when he was like 82. 82. (laughs) Weird news, y'all. Weird news of the world. So rest in peace. Very old connection to the Civil War. We'll link the article in case you're interested. Until next week, thanks for listening. Before we go to things you should know about. I can't remember what they are. <laughs> One of them is the old guy who died who was super old. And the other, oh yes. <laughs> the old guy who died who was super old. Oh, come on. Oh. What are we saying these days? Welcome to Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. Technolo- I'm Stephen Caradini. And, and I'm, I'm Chris, Chris Kreitcho. Kreitcho. <laughs> Uh, okay. Right, I'm ready to go. (laughs) All right. Just remember to say your name, not my name. (laughs) And I'm Chris Kreitcho. Ah! (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-